everyone. Welcome to Party Like a Marketer, the podcast dedicated to cannabis marketing, public relations, and authentic storytelling. I'm your host, Lisa Buffo, founder and CEO of the Cannabis Marketing Association. And you can connect with me on Instagram at LeeBuff and Twitter at LeeBuff21. Today's conversation features Marcus Naramore, the Director of Business Development and Marketing at Edgemont Group. Edgemont Group delivers a suite of cannabis oils and vapor offerings through the LeafWorks, FullSpec, Thrills, and Cookies brands through a single-source production methodology. Within Edgemont Group, Marcus has built a sales team and sales process, established strong brand positioning, driven product development, and navigated a uniquely competitive marketplace in a highly regulated environment. Prior to his work at Edgemont Group, Marcus has worked as a business development executive for Infosys and as an educator within the Teach for America program. Marcus holds an MBA from the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan and a Bachelor of Science from John Brown University. Marcus has been an avid cannabis believer throughout his adult life. He enjoys how the plant enables new perspectives, lifts mindsets, and invigorates creativity. As an avid DJ in his spare time, Marcus particularly enjoys the sublime intersection of music and cannabis. He has also seen repeating instances of cannabis providing relief to many people. Okay, welcome everybody to today's episode of Party Like a Marketer. I'm your host, Lisa Buffo, the founder and CEO of the Cannabis Marketing Association. And today's guest, we have Marcus Marimore, the Director of Business Development and Marketing for the Edgemont Group. Marcus, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on and absolutely incredible podcast name, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. It was a, a joke from our launch party that just kind of stuck. So right, love it. now it now it's our podcast. So um, yeah, could you tell the audience a little bit about who you are, what you do, and Edgemont Group? Sure thing. Uh, so I work for Edgemont Group. We are a producer processor in Washington State, and I manage kind of business development and marketing, um, basically everything customer facing and sales oriented. Uh, So we have four cannabis brands under Edgemont Group and one e-commerce brand. So those are all available in retail stores in Washington State. And then our uh, that includes LeafWorks, FullSpec, Thrills. And then we also are a contract producer for Cookies Concentrates. And then we also have Mood Supplies, which is our kind of like uh, cannabis adjacent e-commerce platform as well. Awesome. And how long has Edgemont Group been around? We started our build in 2015 and went to market in 2016. So uh, over five years. And are, are you adult use, medical, both? Yeah. So in Washington state, it's all lumped into one. So it's all recreational. Um, so yeah, adult use recreational is how I'd qualify it. Cool. Awesome. And you had mentioned that you're all vertically integrated and that you are single source sun-grown flower. Can you talk about what that means? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of customers, when they buy a product off the shelf, I know I'm this way. I assume everything is grown by that company and everything that company does everything, but there's a lot of kind of shoots and ladders behind the scenes of products. So what we do differently is we do keep everything in house with production. We produce everything, cultivate everything in house. We uh, extract it all. We formulate it all and we bring it to retail partners. Um, And that kind of gives us a consistent product and a clean product and a really like price approachable product as well. And that's in difference, you know, there's a lot of wholesaling and sourcing going on behind the scenes for a lot of other brands. And that's kind of one of the differentiators and key DNAs of our company. 
And tell me a little bit about SunGrown. I mean, I'm, I'm from Colorado and I know there's yeah. only so many SunGrown brands, right? Because the conditions vary depending on where you are. So you've got good SunGrown in Seattle? Yeah, you know, we're in the Wenatchee Valley. And if you've ever had an apple and you look at the sticker on it, it's probably going to say Chelan, Wenatchee, uh, or Chelan or Wenatchee. That's where all the apples are produced in the country, most of them. And so it's that. got... Yeah, it's an incredible bed for like produce, um, great sun and great water and really dry kind of climate where produce and cannabis and grapes can all thrive. So it's a really great environment. You know, SunGrown has its DNA mostly kind of in NorCal and uh, we we swear by SunGrown, right? It's kind of like a gardened apple versus like a hothouse uh, apple or tomato. It's got like a different taste. It's got a different crunch to it, right? The sun's the most powerful light um, to grow something. Thing. So we kind of stand by it in terms of it's really good for making oil as well because it's really terpene rich and really just robust flavor. And that's kind of what we love about it. It's also a little bit more eco-friendly than indoor. And, and we love indoor as well, but like we love just the attitude of like creating cannabis as naturally as possible. That makes sense. Well, it sounds like I got to make a trip. It sounds beautiful up there. <laughs> Absolutely. It is really stunning. I always enjoy, enjoy going over there and looking at the looking at the cultivation facility. And is SunGrown an aspect of your marketing? How like how do you communicate that and that value prop to your customers? How, how do you how do you talk about it? That's a really good question. It's something we've wrestled with for a long time because as I'm sure you're aware, like indoor is kind of the creme de la creme from a customer's perspective. And in terms of high fidelity cannabis, in terms of like how robust the colors are and how big the terpene production is, or uh, trichome production is, indoor is hard to beat, right? But um, SunGrown has kind of been looked down upon at times in this market. So I think a lot of things that resonate with customers are the effects of SunGrown, right? Like it's uh, the, the terpene production, it's the eco-friendly effects of like producing it. That's kind of what resonates with customers. But I think we are in a stage where we are ready to really push the idea of SunGrown and, you know, make people understand that this is, this is definitely a value add rather than a value detractor. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's really exciting. Yeah. So tell us a little bit. So this podcast, we like, we're obviously talking about cannabis marketing and communications. So I want to hear a little bit about more, a little more about your career in cannabis and, and what you know about marketing. And we also take the philosophy that cannabis marketing best practices are being developed by those who are doing the work in the field, right? It's, mm. it's a new field. It's a new industry. We can take best practices from other spaces and other industries, but the way it's applied in cannabis in some ways has its own unique lens. And a lot of it is trial by fire. That I, I, I'm a former CMO. That's actually why I founded CMA is because I was like, this is, this is really hard to do and we need a community for it. So, you know, I'm curious to hear from you. What are some lessons that you've learned in the cannabis marketing space? And if you have any stories to share uh, as far as getting in your job and, and getting your hands dirty with it. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I have always, like many people my age, I really latched onto marketing probably with Nike ads. You know, growing up, and I think you might be asking how old you are. So we have. Uh, I'm 36, about 36, exactly. So I was in that heyday of the Michael Jordan ads and Kevin Garnett and all that. And I think that really stuck out to me because they're painting a culture, right? Like they're obviously cool ads and they're fun and they made you laugh, but like there was something bigger that they're communicating, a bigger community that was there that when I, you know, 
was buying Nike clothes or pestering my mom to get Nike clothes. Like I thought I was joining that bigger community. Um, so that's kind of what stuck out with me about it. You know, growing up, I became, I started my own t-shirt brand in high school doing uh, pressing shirts and selling them for 10 to 20 bucks for my friends. And then, you know, I had, a, I was in a band and I was a DJ as well. So I kind of learned like marketing from like a promoter from street level in those atmospheres as well. Um, I then came to Edgemont Group and I was in charge of sales first and then marketing kind of folded right into that. Um, man, you're right on the money with like doing the, doing the work is the biggest lessons because as much as I could learn, as many books as I could read, as soon as I got out there and started figuring out how to differentiate our product in this marketplace that's brand new and complex, I, I really didn't know as much as I thought I did. Yeah. Um, I think one, two lessons that I have kind of stuck with me in this experience. The first one is like, don't get so caught up in the technical aspect of how a product is made. Um, you know, there's a lot of aficionados in the cannabis industry who are obsessed with production methodologies, cultivation methodologies. They'll get you in the weed with solvents. They'll get you in the weed with post-processing, right? It's easy to get wrapped up and think that's the identity of your product. A lot of customers eyes glaze over when you get into that. Um, so I think like getting into the effects of the product, what does that technical aspect bring to the product? That's been the most powerful aspect, transformation of our brands as well. That, yeah, that's a good point. And there, there is a huge education gap between the industry and consumers. And I, I still think some of us in this space, myself included, can often take that for granted and think, oh, that's common knowledge or, oh, like that'll be an appealing value prop because we have these conversations amongst ourselves. But for the consumer, it's 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 too much. I mean, we're still educating yeah. them on terpenes and strain names and indica sativa and effects. So, um, yeah, that's a really good point of, uh, about that. Yeah, like resin versus rosin, right? Like that, it took me like a couple of years to nail that. Like, are we expecting <laughs> our customers to understand the difference? Those are wildly different products, right? Yeah. And, and it's just, it, there's a lot of minutia that you got to avoid there. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good point, especially when it sounds the same. Yeah, exactly. And what is some advice you would share with young cannabis marketers who are looking to develop their personal and professional brand in the space? You know, this is, this goes back to just doing it, but like, if you have an idea rattling around in your brain right now, you're probably sitting there wondering if it's a good idea or a dumb idea. I know I've been there a bunch of times. I imagine you've been there a few times. In that instance, just get it out there. Uh, whatever idea you have, just get it out there. And it might feel awkward. It might feel novice. But, you know, like every great brand we look at now had those initial steps where there's that idea rattling around in the brain. So just get it out there. And like, a couple of like points from my experience with that is like, we started off with Mylar bags with stickers on them. And we literally dropped off samples in paper bags. Like that was not where we wanted to be from a marketing perspective, but we had to start there in order to get where we are now. Right. Um, and then like, we, we tried a newsletter a year ago and we did like two or three issues and no one read it. And it was a big failure. Right. But like, we came back to the table and we relaunched a newsletter that's like a lot more engaging, a lot more interesting, and a lot more consistent. Um, you know, like I even think to like cookies a lot because like I imagine there was a time cookies is a giant, right? It's the best brand in cannabis, in my opinion. I imagine there's a time where Burner was sitting there and thinking about the name cookies and wondering if it was like a good name, right? Like, yeah, is this is a good name. Is this a foolish name? 
but he took this step and like he and everything he built around that brand, it made cookies just this powerhouse. And by the way, cookies is a great name in my opinion. But the point is, is like, just get that idea out there that you have rattling around your brain. Even if it's bad, you can put it to the side and get a good one. Or if it's good, you'll start building it. Yeah, it reminds me of um, one of my favorite books is The Lean Startup for Entrepreneurs. And the author says, yeah. if, you, if you're embarrassed of your product, if you're not embarrassed of your product, you've launched too late. Which means, yeah. Like you want to get out the earliest version and get feedback because you could build this whole thing and spend all this time building something and developing a brand, developing a strategy, and then realize that no one's interested. So the earlier you can yeah. get feedback and sort of like collaboratively iterate, the more you can grow with your audience and get input that you might have a blind side on. And I think that applies in cannabis too. That's a perfect point for this, right? And like, there's only so much you can do, like sitting around a room with your like team, figuring out if it's going to work or not. Like at some point you have to get it out there and you have to let it get chopped up by the public and get, get the actual responses because that'll help you evolve. I love that quote. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And, and it's tough to do that, but to get it out in the public and let it get chopped up, but it is ultimately, if you can surround yourself with people who give you honest feedback, um, will soften the blow for later and can give you something yes. really solid to grow with. So um, exactly. I'm glad you shared that. And yeah. I know with everyone in cannabis, we all have our own stories, uh, but particularly there's a lot of adversity getting into the space as a young marketer. Um, and so many of our brands are startups, right? Like we're small teams, we're small you know, companies compared to other industries in the rest of the world. So a lot of us are working with limited resources, limited budgets, limited teams. Um, any stories you want to share as far as challenges you've overcome um, that can kind of lend to that lesson of learning as you go in cannabis marketing? Man, that is such a good question. And I and you could probably go on all day with an answer and I could and probably everybody you talk to because there's the, the flip side of this fast moving industry that's so exciting is adversity is around every corner and you have to just be fast and ready for it. Um, Two ones that stick out, especially from a marketing perspective. In 2019, VapeGate emerged, um, which I'm sure you remember, but yeah. everybody started worrying about what was inside their vapor cartridges, right? Like, and there's some nasty stuff. There's like Eagle 20, perhaps. There is vitamin E acetate, right? And then like, not to mention there's those botanical terpenes, which are great. There's nothing wrong with those, but like it maybe wasn't as cannabis authentic as customers were thinking. So you know, that was like a crisis moment for us because a few months earlier we had pivoted to all vape. So we had like shut our flower line down and we said, Hey, our vape is our strongest uh, category. We're going to invest in that. And all of a sudden everybody's questioning vape and sales kind of started plummeting across the board. You know, one thing we do is we make carts with only cannabis in them. And all the, like, I tried to tell that to people all the time, explain botanical terpenes, cannabis terpenes, additives and people's eyes would glaze over but that adversity actually put us in a really good position to differentiate ourselves and to add value so i think the lesson with that was like stay true to our dna like there's been many times we've thought about launching a distillate cart with like botanical turks it's it's the prevalent prevalent model in washington but vapegate kind of was a reminder stay true to what we care about and how we want to make products and that will resonate in the long run that's a great point and even when folks eyes glaze go glaze over when you're talking about these things it is often the first step to them better understanding and getting an awareness of here's what I don't know and so maybe I should find out more to become an educated shopper and consumer so next time they go into the dispensary they're going to ask 
perhaps a more informed question or seek out information that would actually allow them to make a more informed purchase and therefore maybe be a better customer to you in the future. And that's so true, right? And like customers are going to have different preferences, like the distillate and botanical terps. That's a great product. I have no qualms with that as well, but customers need to understand they need to self-select, right? There's going to be customers who want all cannabis. There's going to be customers who want distillate and terps. Self-select, and that comes from that education aspect you just brought up. And are, are you still vape focused only, or is the flower we were talking about um, like a separate line? You know, all of our flour gets extracted right now. So we we have huge harvests and we extract it all and we do vapes, but we also have a pretty significant concentrate line, uh, live resin, and we'll bring solvent lists online as well. But 100% of our flour at this moment gets extracted. Cool. Awesome. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, of course. And if so to that point, is there anything you wish you knew at the beginning of your cannabis marketing career that is a lesson you've learned since then and say, like, if you were speaking to someone who was newer in the space and had the advantage of your experience, what's something you wish you knew earlier on? I think, you know, the rules are still waiting to be written. Um, when I joined this industry, I probably acted a little bit more tentatively than I wanted to um, in retrospect. And it was just because I was trying to learn everything. And I thought, you know, I didn't want to break rules. I, my previous job before this, by the way, I was selling enterprise technology to a pretty big retailer. So in that industry, there are significant rules and you have to kind of be by the book, right? So cannabis, the, the rules are all waiting to be written and you can just get out there and do what you want. So like, I wish I was a little bit more bold and I wish I was a little bit more experimental from day one. I think, I think we're there now, but that's kind of what I would tell myself in, in the past. And how many years have you been with Edgemont Group? Uh, for five years. So, so what year is it now? 2022. So yeah, almost exactly. since the beginning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we had grown everything and then I came on board when it was time to sell it. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And what is, what are you most hopeful for in regards to the future of cannabis? Where do you see things going? I, and I'll ask this kind of two prong, both sort of that high level industry perspective, answer that however you want, but also marketing. Like, where do you see this direction of marketing going and where should marketers in this space kind of keep their, what should they keep their eyes open to? Yeah, that's a great question. Listen, like, Honestly, like I don't get to talk about this aspect of it that often because you're supposed to shy away from it when you're marketing. But like, I'm really hopeful about the benefits, the health benefits that may emerge from cannabis. You know, like Parkinson's has affected my family and people in our team's family. Cancer has as well. Um, you know, COVID is obviously affecting everybody. There's a recent Bloomberg article that does a study that cannabis might affect it, right? And like, None of this is, is entirely like foolproof yet. There needs to be a lot more studying done, but man, it's like optimistic and it's really exciting. Like this plant has been with us for thousands of years and there's plenty of other plants that have benefits. What happens when we really, really start studying these benefits? Um, not to mention mental elements, you know, like anxiety, depression, ADD. I, that's the most thing I'm hopeful about this. I, it's the plant at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. And it's funny. We, so we actually have an event coming up next week. Um, that's Ted style talks. And, and one of our speakers is talking about functional effects-based marketing. And he, he refers to a survey and it says hundred percent of cannabis consumers surveyed are looking for a desired effect. 
So yeah. like when we say as marketers, like we, we shy away from the health benefits, which is understandable, you know, it, it happens yep. because we almost have to because of the regulations, but in terms of what people are coming to the store for and what they're interested in, everybody wants an effect, whether yeah. it's helping them sleep, reducing anxiety and depression, um, you know, sort of these more clinical so to speak, diagnoses like cancer or Parkinson's right. where, yeah, we're all looking to improve our health or improve these, you know, wellness metrics in some way. Everybody is no, no one's like going into the dispensary saying, you know, I don't want a, an effect for this. Yeah, so it's almost funny, point. the conundrum we're in. Yeah. I think that's really well said. And that, that's really exciting, you know, and like, I guess drilling down to the marketing perspective, I'm really hopeful for like this next level of culture, right? Like cannabis and culture are so intertwined. It goes back decades, centuries, right? I think like I mentioned burner cookies and they're kind of like the biggest case study for how to actually create a culture around a brand. But like, I think there's going to be more, um, more examples of that, maybe in different areas. I think someone's going to figure out how to transcend the traditional cannabis event culture as well. I think you guys are doing a great job of that. Um, in order to put out like, but I'm thinking like a world-class music and arts festival. Like I would love to see that centered around cannabis. And I think like more fashion and lifestyle brands will emerge, right? Like cookies is out there, but like, is there like a irreverent street conscious brand, like the hundreds? Is there like going to be an eco-friendly, like quality brand, like Patagonia? Is there going to be a forward thinking tech brand like Tesla and Apple? Like that's all a blank slate in the cannabis world right now to me. I think some people are making good moves, but that's exciting to think about for five years from now. Yeah, and uh, there was actually another uh, speaker I was listening to who said that the uh, like the Google of cannabis hasn't been invented yet, or the yeah. Pepsi of cannabis. Like we we're so nascent, relatively speaking, that that giant um, maybe it's cookies, maybe it's somebody in that yeah. direction, but it, maybe they've not. It hasn't. It's not even here yet. So yeah, the opportunity, I, I think, for the future. And like you mentioned, the intersection between cannabis and culture is huge because it does have such an overlap with music, arts, you know, Colorado, we're mountain snowboarding lifestyle yep. people. It's like all so many of these perfect marriages um, that just speaks, I think, to the broader trend and direction. It's not one size fits all, right? Like cannabis yeah. appeals to so many different subsets and all those different people can kind of build their tribes or cultural brands around their specific lane. Yeah, 100%. So we will see. So I'm, I'm curious too about what your favorite part of the cannabis industry is. I, I love to ask that question because everyone has such different answers to it, but what's your favorite part about working in this space? I love a lot about it. Okay. I'll just preface it with that. I, I love the product. I love the plant. I love the way it smells. I love the way it makes me feel. I love how fast paced it is, how innovative it moves in dog years. Right. But like the simple answer for me is the people like the people I work with, both inside our group and the retail partners, the creatives, it is so fascinating where these people's stories, like their creative outlets they do outside the industry, their personalities, right? They might be like really quiet artists. They might be like ravers with huge crystal necklaces, uh, professional kayakers, um, you know, some past OGs, some really like buttoned up printing houses. It's just really fun to like work with that cross section of really interesting people. And it, it really inspires me like every day. And I, so to that point, I did want to ask you what, so what brought you from enterprise tech to this? What brought you to cannabis, um, the industry you know, and anything you want to share about your story? 
You know, I, that's a great question. I think like enterprise tech was not my fit, you know, like I think I, I went to grad school and I think it's like, it was like a professional job. And I told myself like, Hey, this is the next step. You've got to get into this specific lane. But like I said, like I've been in a metal band, I've been a DJ before I've traveled all over the you place. You play guitar? Like, is that what the guitars are? Yeah, exactly. Hey, those are super dusty though. Now I, I can barely <laughs> even play anymore. That's just between you and me. Um, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I've never really been fit for that corporate life and I've always loved cannabis and there was an opportunity, you know, a friend of a friend showed me his grow and it was this beautiful Vista in the Wenatchee Valley. And I was like, get me up there to talk to them just to see what they're doing. And so I took that leap and a couple of minutes, a couple of weeks later, I decided to move up to Washington, um, with my now wife and my little Pomeranian. And we just started from scratch up here. And I haven't looked back. It's it's been the best career move of my life by far. Where where were you before? Uh, I was in Minneapolis uh, for several years at that tech job. Yeah. And what uh, if you don't mind me asking, what was what did you go to grad school for? What were you studying? Uh, I got my MBA. So just kind of a cross section. You know, before that, I've always been interested in marketing and business. I was actually a high school teacher through a program called Teach for America in Denver. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of looking for an avenue to get back into the business world, get back into entrepreneurialism. So that's kind of why I went and got my MBA and that kind of came full circle to my position now. Nice. That's a yeah. great story. <laughs> well, thanks. It's, it's all over the map, you know, both literally and figuratively, but I feel like now in my role, it's like, it all makes sense. Looking back at the last 15 years of my life, like this is why all those steps happen is because of what I'm doing now. I don't know anyone in this industry whose story isn't all over the map. It's, yeah. It's like, well that's said. the only way to get here. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. That's, that's, maybe that's the answer to your question, right? Like, that's, that's amazing. Lots, yeah, lots of, lots of twists and turns. And yeah. so to, to get back to marketing a little bit, what are some effective strategies you've seen um, in, in cannabis marketing? And I can keep that broad. Anything you've either seen at Edgemont Group or lessons you've learned, but what are some effective cannabis marketing strategies to me like these are the two north stars i'm trying to push all of our work to right now the first one's personality um i think like in the first stages of cannabis everybody was striving to be very professional and they were like very clean like apple looking products everywhere and they they look like they're designed by like a high level marketing firm and they looked like they're ready for like your everyday customer right but like personality maybe was lacking a little bit in a lot of those initial products. I think cookies, I mentioned them, what is my fourth time, but they, that personality aspect's brilliant, right? It's just their strain logo on the bag and the strain, and they don't talk about the genetics. They don't talk about the effects or anything. It's just, that's the personality. When I buy a bag of pancakes, it's that pancakes with syrup. And that gives me that feeling. Um, 710 Labs also does a really good job of this in a very, very different way. They are always connecting with their fans on social media and they're putting out like neon lights for their fans to purchase, right? And they're like showing, showcasing partners, there, but their personality is very evident in addition to having an outstanding product. That's where, that's like the North Star for me is personality. And, and your presentation, MJ BizCon touched on that as well, right? Like it's going to be about the effects and the personality more so than the product attributes. So I think that's the first thing for me. The second thing for me, it goes right with that is simplicity. 
Um, in the past, we've been guilty of putting way too much information on our packaging, um, way too many strains. It's hard to keep up with. So a couple brands that crush simplicity right now are Loon out of California. Um, they have like several IP strains and it's only five strains. If you like that strain, you buy it over and over and over again. It's your favorite, right? And then Shred is a company cannabis. I don't know if you've looked at them, but they're kind of on the same model. They have their own, they have their own strains, but they also pre-shred their flower. So it's like ready for you to just open up and uh, make a joint and it's not shake. It's like a different, different product type, but that really exhibits simplicity and makes it easy for a customer to latch onto a brand. That's interesting. And that is their whole brand. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. I got to yeah. check them out. I, I have not heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point, personality, I think part of what I touched on, or at least what I talk about and what we preach at CMA is, is authenticity because personality can't be, it, it's sort of hard to manufacture. It's yeah. just something you have and you are. And if you think about personality in the human sense, it's like, oh, I love this person for their quirks. And this is how they talk and communicate, or this is, you know, how they laugh or these things that they say. And they're, it's like their characters, right? It's so hard to put in a box, but the way in which you can do that for a brand does connect and I think resonate more emotionally with the customer and they have something they can latch onto because they they see that they resonate with that and they can understand it and that's what you communicate in your marketing. 100% I think you hit the nail on the head that personality is just innate right we've been working with Jared Mursky up here in Washington and and I don't know if you know Jared but he's just a really fascinating marketing mind in the cannabis space he put it really, really well to us. And it echoes what you're saying. The brand, the, the, the product is a person, right? And it's like a naked person and the packaging and the marketing, everything you do is kind of like how you clothe it. Right. But that's going to very, very much depend on who the person is without any clothing on, so to speak. So you got to dial that in. Who is the brand, the product without any clothing on before you put the clothing on, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And there's actually, um, I want to make sure I get this right, but there's research out of Stanford. I think the woman's name is Jennifer Akers, but it's about the five, and this is not cannabis. This was brand personality in the, I guess the rest of the world, but yep. she has a model of like five different main types of brand personalities that can all in some way fit under these models. So they've actually done research around this. Wow. It might be a little old at this point. I'd have to double check it. But I, that was my starting point into brand personality yeah. and um, looking into it. So if you're listening, maybe something worth um, looking up. But the other thing I was going to say it. that yeah. you you mentioned that I didn't even occur to me or gave me a good perspective, which is why I love this podcast and having these conversations. Yeah. <laughs> is I do think the industry probably did overcompensate a little bit with the professionalism in the early days because we were trying so hard to get away from the stoner right. stigma that it was almost too polished and buttoned yes. up in, in some aspects, not totally, but in some aspects that it was like, here's how we're going to talk about this and communicate and connect with customers. But it almost yes. lost that like emotional connection because it was very... Um, I don't know, streamlined, standardized. I don't know what the word is, but dry maybe. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. Right. And like, obviously marketing with pot leaves and like Bob Marley, you know, I love Bob Marley, but you know, those traditional like cannabis, that's probably not the way to go to bring in new people, but like cookies doesn't do that. Like, right. Shred doesn't do that. It's, it's just, they're really great brands, whether they sell cannabis or motorcycles or anything, right? Like that's just, a, that's that personality of that brand. Yeah. 
yeah, and it appeals, it's going to appeal to a wider, a, a much wider audience than we currently have. And, yeah. and it's about bringing those, those new folks in too. So yeah, I love yes. that. Those are good, good recommendations, personality. Same. All you have to send me that research article as well. That's I like will. That. I will. It's good. I think it, I think you'll get a lot from it. And so, okay. So last few questions before we go, what are some of the ways that you think marketing will continue to grow the cannabis industry in the future? And I, I kind of want to look at possibly both sides of this coin. You can answer this however you want, but ways in which marketing is promoting the growth of this industry and even the ways in which maybe we're not doing ourselves um, a favor. Like what ways are we slowing things down? Where could we improve or what could we do better? Um, where do you see that going? That's a great question. The first, like what marketing could do better? And listen, like, I don't have the answer to this. I just, it's just an observation. There's not a lot of customer connection, right? Like brands are not getting directly cut, connected to customers as much as we want them to. And the case studies where it is happening, those brands are skyrocketing. I think the average cannabis customer is intimidated when they go into a store or when they open up their Ease app. Like I have friends text me with their Ease screenshots to be like, hey, what do I buy? Right. Like, and I have to run down. It's like, that is, there's a missed opportunity of brands not connecting with customers and helping customers have confidence that this is, this is my thing. This is my favorite. Right. Like, um, so that's kind of like the first one that I'm really interested. How are people going to solve that problem of connecting to customers? It's cash focused, right. In a lot of States. So that data, that wealth of data that might be there for like when you shop at Target or shop at Amazon, that might be missing for a little bit. So we're going to have to be more creative, right? Like how do we build campaigns that are direct with customers? How do we build street teams? You know, like that's kind of like from my days of DJing and being in a band, how do we apply those on the ground methods? But customer connection is really, really a thing I have observed is not there yet. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. And that is interesting. I think something that technology and social media has an opportunity to change, but we are limited in that in some sense yeah. now because we don't have full, the industry does not have full access to social media. And it's still a, yep. kind of a scary terrain to play in because you never know if you'll have your account tomorrow. So I think when that starts to change too, we'll have more opportunity for sort of open, honest, transparent conversations and communications that isn't like, Am I going to get flagged or shut down if I hashtag, you know, the wrong cannabis word or whatever? So, but we'll see. We're, we're not there yet. I would also, listen, that's a great point. This is kind of a divergent, but I, anybody who's a young marketer, like one thing I, I would wish I knew immediately, don't build your, don't build your brand on social media and cannabis. Like it can be a tool, but you've got to have a central digital platform that you own, right? Like websites, obvious, the most ab obvious one, but you got to have something you own and you can control and then use that social media to amplify it. But that's another thing I wish I knew when I started. A hundred percent. And your, your CRM, your email list, cause those can't be taken away, but your right. social can and good luck getting it back. Some people yeah. can, but it's not, it's not the, it is very risky to rely yeah. on that fully. So I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. What do you, I, I mean, I, I would, I, I would love to ask all these questions for you, yeah. but this one specifically, cause you have such a good eye on it, but like how, how, where do you think marketing is falling short in this industry? And where do you think it has an opportunity for that other industries don't? 
I agree with you on the customer communication aspect. I think that's a really good point. And I've sort of seen it or talked about it from a few different lenses. And I think one we mention over and over again is education, where it's almost like we're going like this sometimes where we're either talking under our customers or over them, where we're like, oh, this will help you feel good or um, simplifying it. And there's nothing wrong with being simple, but there is kind of an art or I would say a delicacy to it. And then talking over them as far as, you know, what you had mentioned, the going too deep into the science or the um, strain names or the processing technique without taking these steps to connect. And I also think we could have better two-way conversations. Okay. So we're almost like, in some way, I think project, like, this is what people need and this is what consumers want. But uh, but I'm like, have have we talked to them fully? Have we had a full conversation around the why? And um, I also think we need to do a better job of understanding, like we say stigma so easily. It's like, there's this stigma and we have it, but like, what does that mean? Where does that come from? And stigma is going to be very different depending on your racial group, your socioeconomic class, your religion, um, even your gender, how you were raised, all of these things can, the the message around cannabis when cannabis was bad was delivered in very different and often traumatic ways to people. And we need to unpack that a little bit more so that our, our marketing messages can meet people where they're at and understand what the effects of 80 years of prohibition and propaganda did because the the barrier is not just i don't understand the effect cannabis is going to have on my body that is one but it is not the only one the other one is what are the socio-cultural and economic effects that this had on my community and my person and how do we start to talk about that and engage it and those are hard conversations but I do think it is a, it is a barrier. And one example I have is, you know, my mom, I'm a millennial like you, she's a, a, a baby boomer. And I get texts from her friends who don't want to walk into a dispensary, same, same thing. They don't want to walk into a dispensary. Yeah. So this is what they want to purchase, but they're afraid to. And, it, but why? And these are conversations we need to have. So I think we can improve on that two-way conversation. I think we can improve in having some of the harder conversations around the stigma and that emotional connection of where folks are saying I'm interested and I want to try, but I'm hesitant to put my foot in the door, but I'm Googling and I'm texting and I'm researching. But I think the flip side of that is that it leaves us with a tremendous opportunity to start to open those doors, to have hard conversations, to improve our marketing and communications, and to just meet people where they're at and not generalize the cannabis, like the future cannabis consumer so much, because there are like I would even beg to say millions of different sub consumer groups. Like there, there's an infinite yeah. amount. It's not just how do you market to women? It's like, that's just <laughs> one term, but women are yeah. not one category. There's okay. so many different subsects within that. And we've just started to scratch that surface. So I just think there's so much more room for nuance and deeper understanding and communication that can be really beautiful and beneficial if we're willing to do it. Man, that is well said. I think the listening aspect is so on the nose, right? Like I crave that information, that feedback, and it's hard to get. Um, But like that stigma point's interesting too, because like, I guess people like you and I and like the rest of the industry, we've probably already made peace with cannabis and been like, cannabis is good. Cannabis is beneficial. 
cannabis is socially acceptable, right? And I'm pushing the limit in my my social circuits with that. But like customers, definitely not there. Um, some are, but some aren't. And that's so glossed over because everybody in the industry has already bought into it. So man, listening to the customer and learning about that is that's that's a great answer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've got some more information I'll send you on that. But um, yeah, I think I think we have an opportunity. I think it's a good one. I like it. Every problem is an opportunity. And like the thing I was thinking about, too, with the limitations with social media marketing, like the thing about cannabis industry is problems have always been there. Obstacles have always been there. Right. So people are creative problem solvers in this industry more so than maybe a lot of other industries, just because of the historical nature of making and distributing and everything that has gone on with this plant so yeah yeah and i think the creative aspect that cannabis um evokes like part of why i love cannabis marketing is i i, I think i'm like the more people that consume and invo involve themselves with the plant the more they're gonna open their mind to new ideas ways to solve problems their own emotional states different ways yeah. to communicate and it it brings out an authenticity and different sides of yourself that maybe you hadn't explored yet. And that lends itself to problem solving in a new way. I know, I know as I mean, a founder entrepreneur myself, my cannabis consumption allows me to look at my nine to five business problems way differently than maybe yeah. I was years ago. Um, and that's cool. That's awesome. I agree. Like I I'll get in my own head, especially with creative projects. Like I'll I'm one way during the day, but then at night, like I'll, I'll get like a little stoned and I'll, I'll be able to crush a creative problem way, way differently. Right. And it just flows so easily. So that's interesting. If all the customers and all the industries start to have that same mentality, it is going to be like that flywheel, like where it just gets faster and faster and faster and more ideas, more great ideas emerge yeah, and people can, become I, more fulfilled. We could change. I mean, it's like so high, but high level, but like we could change the world like that. And yeah. everyone can take that and apply that in their communities and their lives. I mean, it, it really has a big um, butterfly effect, I think. So I don't think you're overplaying it. Right. Cannabis has been around for thousands of years. It's been it's been a marker in every culture around the world. And it's been part of rituals. It's been part of music. It's been part of communities. So it is, I think, a life changing, you know, substance like plant. So I'm with you. I don't think you're overstating that at all. Nice. Well, I, um, so I've got one last question and then we'll wrap yeah. it up. So sure. where do you see the industry industry going as a whole in the next year or five years? What do you see as the future of, of our space? Well, I think there's the big elephant in the room, right? Like, and that's legalization. So if federal legalization happens, I think there's a reality that everybody is needs to like buy into. It's probably going to bring one to three mass market brands. Um, and they're going to be powerhouses that are national corporation brands. And like the powerhouses we think of now, like the multi-state operators, they're probably going to be relegated to more back burner status. So that's the one thing, right? Like mass market brands are going to be prevalent, but I still think there's a space for luxury status brands and for like really like brands that connect to people's tribal image. So I guess that's my second thing is like more fragmentation is probably necessary right you, you touched on that just don't market to women like there's a million subsets in that in that right so like height does hype beast buy the same things that soccer moms buy do cultivation connoisseurs buy the same things that like punks buy that professionals buy all those people i've seen in cannabis stores so like how are we going to build specific brands to resonate with those people that is how we are going to continue to exist when these big players come in and there's budweiser of cannabis that's dominating every other shop and I agree. And to bring it back to your point, 
when we are niched out like that and fully connecting with our customers and our community, that will keep that customer loyalty there and, and frankly, keep you in the game. Um, and I think yeah. a lot of folks in the industry are afraid of that, that we're going to go out of business or we're going to get bought or just knocked off because we're not going to be able to compete when that happens. But if you have that connection with your customers and they're loyal and they show up for you and your community, like we do with our, you know, hairdressers and our, like our other yeah. local businesses that, that will keep you going. What about you? What do you, I, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, legalization is a big question, but like, how do you view the next five years, the next year? I would agree with you where that that's the big elephant in the room. And we have yet to see how that will play out as far as how the regulations will be written and what's the difference between what the feds determine and what the states determine and then how yep. that impacts business. I think the other thing that's a big one to that will come with legalization is interstate commerce that we have yet to see play out, right? Like, will, will everyone just want NorCal cannabis or is there yeah. going to be that kind of craft brewery demand, which I think there will be for kind of local, local brands and, and locally, you know, kind of grown and owned and operated. Um, I think interstate commerce is going to be a big game changer. I don't know, you know, how that's going to play out or, or what it's going to mean, but I, I agree with you that when folks, bigger mainstream companies who are able to come in with unlimited funds, it, it is going to change everything. Um, Cause our view of that with the MSOs of today and the small businesses of today is still so small compared to what right. we don't have access to without access to banking and without, you know, any of these major publicly like major traded companies um, in the space. So yeah, it'll, it'll see, but I, I think in a way, I almost feel like for us, small business owners and entrepreneurs, it's our like time to keep running and, you know, doing our thing while we have this window and to just be really focused, focused about it and, and build what we have, build upon what we have now and set a tone so that when things do change and we have an influx of new, um, like fresh blood in the space, for lack of a better word, that we have set some standards, some goals, some, um, principles and say, you know, this is the industry we want to build and this is how we play with each other and, you know, ha have sort of like an ethos at the core of it is something I would really yeah. like to see, but I think we're, we're still, you know, working out. I agree. And I think, you know, it's interesting if we look to the North, like in Canada, it's almost like a case study of that playing out because the giant producers up there are, are losing market share and there's upstarts that are taking their market share and they're built more on what everything you just mentioned, like having a specific connection, having a specific lane and ethos, and they are taking market share of the giants. Now the giants are still the giants, right? But like, that is something substantive. I think it's a proof of concept for what we're talking about. And hopefully like when us goes federally legal, it'll follow that same pathway. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So lots of opportunity and very exciting. But is there anything else, Marcus, you want to share or mention that you haven't had a chance to say? I don't think so. I think I just want to see more people join the industry. You know, I, I, it's it's a big tent here. We talked about all these different groups and um, I'm I, I want to see more. I want I'm, I'm stoked to see more women led business. I'm stoked to see more people of color led business. Cannabis has always had that fabric wound into it. And 
there's too many people that are, you know, like look, look like me in the industry. And I'm just excited for that tent to grow bigger and bigger because I certainly enjoy like working with a cross section of people. It's, it's really inspiring and engaging and less samesy and boring. So, um, whatever we can do on a micro level and a macro level to expand that tent and to bring more people into the industry. That's, that's what I'm aiming for. Awesome. And is there any contact information you want to share website, social handle, like how can folks connect with you and Edgemont group? If, if you want to share that publicly. Yeah, hundred percent. We have our websites. Leafworks.com is kind of our home base. Um, Fullspec710.com is our live resin. And those are both available on social as well. Uh, you can reach me on, on LinkedIn, Marcus Nairmore. Uh, you can also reach me on email, just Marcus at leafworks.com. So I would love to hear from anybody, any of your listeners and build, build this big tent I was just talking about. And, and spell LeafWorks for us. Yeah, sure. It's Leaf, L-E-A-F, but then it's W-E-R-X. So Leaf, W-E-R-X. And, and lastly, where can we find your products? What retailers in, in Washington? Uh, we're in 200 stores in Washington. Our, you know, we're in Uncle Ike's. Uh, we're in Main Street Marijuana. We're in Have a Heart. And we're in, um, on, in Spokane. We're in some great groups. We're in like Treehouse Club, Sativa Sisters. Anywhere where they sell great products, we try to be in. Um, so yeah, we have all that on our website as well if you're in a specific area in Washington. Well, sounds like I'm going to make a visit soon. Yeah, please do. I'd love to show you the facility. It's it's really fun for a lot of people who are used to seeing like indoor grows. It's a whole different ball game. I'll send you some drone pics. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you, Marcus. I really appreciate you taking the time and joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the time, Lisa. I'm really excited about what you're doing in this industry and uh, let us know how we can help. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Party Like a Marketer. Check us out on Instagram at Party Like a Marketer and on our website, thecannabismarketingassociation.com. Don't forget to engage with us. We'd love to hear from you. And be sure to join us in person in June 2020, June 8th through 10th for the annual Cannabis Marketing Summit happening in Denver, Colorado. Check out our website for more details and membership information. We'll see you next time.